Welcome to this episode of Think Anesthesia podcast. I am Amanda Shelby, the Think Anesthesia content coordinator and a VTS in anesthesia and analgesia. For this episode, I get the distinct pleasure to interview one of my colleagues from the Academy of Veterinary Technicians in Anesthesia and Analgesia, Heather Carter. Heather has 15 years of experience in the veterinary industry on both the medical and leadership side. After getting her VTS in anesthesia and analgesia, she continued her education, earning a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology from George Mason University. Heather has a strong understanding of individual and team dynamics, as well as the needs and struggles of those who work in the veterinary industry. She is dedicated to healing the landscape of veterinary medicine and reinvigorating people's love and passion for this profession. Today, we are going to address veterinary turnover. Heather, welcome. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. Let's jump in directly with how does veterinary medicine compare with the average amount of turnover to other industries and professions? The number I have to share with you on this is before COVID and before the great resignation. So it may be different now, but prior study I found, which was in the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, was about 8% of voluntary turnover. And then inside veterinary medicine, it's at 60 to 75%. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. And there's a formula because I think all conversations should have some form of math in it, but there's some formula. And when I was doing research on this, I found that one of the hospitals I was associated with had 300% turnover. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is a huge number. How can we minimize or prevent turnover? This is where I look directly to leadership of how we can minimize turnover. I can share some of the paper I wrote on this, but some of the big things that we can do is listen to our teams. So in my hospital, I work for a veterinary startup. And as we were creating the systems that we were going to put in place into our hospitals, we recognized that the trend that is happening in your town in vet med is the same that's happening in ours. And there's not a lot of distinction between that. And that doesn't minimize anyone's experience at all. It's just that it's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous. But so we were like, we have to do things different this time. And some of the things that we've done is listen to our team members. So for example, we make sure that equipment works. And that seems maybe a little trivial or a little like, well, yeah, obviously. But we've all worked in those places where the this pump doesn't work or I have to share the syringe pump because of this, you know, where you're kind of like picking and choosing what's working and what's not. The end title in this machine doesn't work. So those kind of things are replacing that equipment and realizing that maybe $5,000, but the team member who's using it, the patient who needs it, those are tiny things that can help that team. Beyond that though, is like inventory. You have the things you need to be able to do your job and having things in place to help people achieve goals. And not just like, here, I'll help you on this, but this is budget towards a goal. This is time to work towards a goal. These are um, things put in place, like in our HR system, we use Paylocity. In Paylocity, we have a goal tracker. And for after we meet today, Amanda, I have a meeting with an individual to discuss their goals. And the point of that meeting is to keep them accountable, but also to keep us accountable because I want to help you achieve that goal. And research shows that people who are able to achieve goals 
remain satisfied in their jobs, they are engaged in their jobs. And smaller things like in our practices, vocabulary is really impactful. So we say team member, we don't say employee, we don't say staff. We have job missions, we don't have job descriptions. We have our core values listed. We act in service of those core values and we demonstrate how we do that. Um, we also have recognizing how important mental health is in our profession. Our job missions have self-care worked into it. So like it is your job to communicate and to explain what you need to take care of yourself so that you remain satisfied and engaged. One of the big things we do is we also have a wellness week off work. So if you are coming to work with me, Amanda, and your first day is August 1st, your first week of actual work is paid off for you to rest and recuperate and to get in the right mindset for when you come into the clinic. So then let's say, and then August 8th is your first day in the practice. So you have a whole week to digest. So I just left one job. I'm in a new job. You've been able to get in the right headspace to have the right intention to start your new job. That's very interesting and probably very unique. I would love just to ask you a more specific question about that. Yeah. Do you, is it completely leave that new employee alone or is there any onboarding that might occur during that week? We have had this conversation of like, what degree do we want to be in touch with our new team member? And not that we're trying to be like, you're off right now, but you need to respond to all these emails. Our HR partner, Amber, will just make sure they're familiar with Outlook and Paylocity. And I think that, again, just how to clock in, clock out, how to get to your email in case someone is reaching you. I believe that's about a 30-minute conversation, and it's just to help them on day one, they know how to clock in. But yes, for the most part, that person is left alone. We've asked people if they go anywhere, if they do anything fun, to send us pictures of it. This is how they spent their wellness week. But it's absolutely their wellness week. And if they leave their job, let's say they start working and they're like, actually, this isn't for me, then that's still their week. There's no hidden fine print of if you quit within six months, you owe us for that PTO. That's absolutely yours. Well, that is an outstanding recommendation for our industry. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, my boss was, we were really thinking as we put our new practice together was how do we challenge the status quo and how do we challenge all of the things that are in place right now that are just not working. So on a granular level, Amanda, we were like, we say the word this. Is this the right word to use? Which is why vocabulary is such a big deal to us. As another example, we have hospital stewards, not administrators. These little things change the opinion and the understanding of what that role does. So like a hospital steward, the steward is to make sure the ship is afloat and things are working within the ship. And to make sure that you're fine and you're fine and our definitions of that are a little different, but it's just to, you know, fluidly make sure that things are going okay. So when you're in that role, I feel like you feel different instead of like I'm an administrator and things are very transactional. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it underscores the importance of perception. Bingo. Yes. I wanted to ask you more specifically about goals. When you talk about supporting a team member's goal, are you speaking directly to personal goals of that individual or potentially merging into the professional goals of that individual and how they align with the company's goals? I think both. There is some overlap there. And actually, I was thinking of a program that to build for our bigger hospitals that give people different opportunities because I noted that we in vet med don't provide a lot of opportunity for people who don't wanna become a licensed technician, a VTS, 
or you're like, I'm going to work in vet med until I get into vet school. Like it's got this very traditional path, but we don't do a lot to capture these other things. But what about the person who wants to do the accounting for this practice? Or I want to do marketing. So I think the goals that I want to help people achieve are maybe more professionally focused, but maybe they find out that they really want to be in a different area of the hospital or in a different role altogether. We've helped them figure that out and then support them to whatever they want to do. For example, our, we have a new oncology department and our oncologist who's lovely has a grief counseling certification. So I started to look into that because maybe that team, maybe they want to work on something like that. And I think we all love achieving a goal, but it's not in the same box as like you have to go to tech school. And then that is how we define success, right? Like maybe it's something completely different. I love that you give the teammate an opportunity to influence and establish what success looks like. uh, And that really does help them personally and professionally. Hopefully that means that retainment is higher and this turnover is reduced in the hospitals that can implement those practices. Yeah, I think you're totally right. If I know that I get to work on something here and then maybe that opens up another opportunity to fine tune that goal or do something more with it, then I think we're the company that has the ability to support that in a couple different ways. Between our leadership team, the backgrounds that we all have are so different. If somebody was like, Heather, I want your job. Here's how I would work towards somebody doing that. Here's how we would help you do that. So it's very morphic and very up to the individual what they might want to do. And I'm sure that leverages strengths and minimizes weaknesses across the board when you're looking at a team perspective. Right, because it's not linear anymore. It's not like you start here, you do this program, and then you do this, and then you inevitably work on a VTS, and then that's hard for everybody because it's a really difficult process, and then that's the end of it. Heather, thank you for really highlighting ways companies can minimize or prevent turnover, focusing on the team, language that encourages inclusion, And this Wellness Week idea, that's revolutionary for our profession. I'd like to focus on hospital culture and how that impacts turnover specifically in our profession. Culture is so, so very important. I like to describe it as like that other team member that doesn't exist, if that makes sense. Like it's something that we need to take care of to make sure it's okay, but it needs to take care of us as well. So it's this really fascinating relationship. And it's real easy for a culture to kind of crumble. Culture is that thing that you feel when you walk into a practice and you can immediately get an understanding of like how these individuals work together, how they're not working together. So you can physically feel if there's a good or bad culture. Cultures that promote a learning environment, those are really healthy cultures. Cultures that allow individuals to ask questions and to be safe in asking questions. This is an IO thing, it's called psychological safety. But that is a huge part of culture and psychological safety is just the ability to take a risk in front of people. So it's the technician, the assistant, the doctor, the administrator, whoever, who's like, I don't understand that. Can somebody explain that a little better? And not worrying about how they look in front of their peers or whoever. And then somebody answers that question and there's no judgment. So that's a huge part of culture that keeps it healthy and happy. and 
positive. The opposite end of that spectrum is the knowledge hoarder. I think we've all had worked with those individuals or been in those environments where there's one or two gatekeepers of knowledge who think that if I teach you this, then I'm less important and then I may not have a job. But that's not inherently their fault. There's a lot of factors to that. So in those cultures, you're not learning anything. If you don't really know how to do your job, you have a lot of insecurity about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so it's real easy to be like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And it's you want to leave that because no one's communicating with you. You don't know how to get the information to learn. So that's quick to make you want to leave. Where then again, the just to, as a reminder, the other end of that spectrum, for example, at Partner, we have SharePoint. So SharePoint is just like a intranet. We have team member resources and hospital resources. So the point of that is if at any point in your job or your day that you're like, I don't know how to do that, or what's that login information, or where is that? So now we have a repository for all of that knowledge. And so the more stuff that's available to people, the more secure they feel, the more comfortable they are, and that they're happy, so the culture's happy, and see how those things kind of take care of each other. I think that's really important. I personally have been guilty of being the knowledge hoarder. I've been the victim as yes. well as the perpetrator. Um, and a lot of that comes from insecurity. Oh, and absolutely. I agree, having a safe environment is really important to minimize that. This is interesting because we just finished an interview with Dr. Gillespie, who's a diplomat in internal medicine, but she's the medical director of an emergency specialty hospital. And full disclosure, I do moonlight at that hospital in the anesthesia department. But we talked about the spin-off benefits, and there might be a fancier word for that, so you can enlighten us to that. I don't know, spin-off <laughs> benefit is a good word. <laughs> the spin-off benefits to implementing mandatory morbidity and mortality rounds. Cool. And really the direction of that hospital is they have a motto, they have their culture, they have aspects within the culture that they try to emphasize across the board in this hospital. But morbidity mortality rounds gave an opportunity for improvement to the organization, improvement to the individuals involved in a case from peers within their peers. And it's a safe space that anyone can come present a situation that they weren't satisfied with that highlights the potential for improvement. Every level of the hospital is required to attend. Everyone has an opportunity to present, usually multiple people on a case present, and it just really gives us a comprehensive perspective of where we could do better and achieve that ultimate goal of providing superior care to pets. And I like it because the spinoff benefit is that it does set the standard for that inclusive, safe environment yes. that then carries over to other aspects of that workplace. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I love that there's a lot of barriers that are removed there. The thing that's really great is that it's creating relationships with individuals who may not have a lot of opportunity to overlap in that practice. So just by, by sheer, like just location, if the kennel technician is doing their job and they're specifically in this region of the hospital and the surgeon is always over here. So it's not that there's some inherent dislike, it's just location, but now they're in the same space and they now have something to talk about. Let's say they pass each other in the break room where before they recognize each other as people who work in the same space, but now they have like potentially an inside joke and they have a story to tell each other. And that creates even more safety where you don't feel so a part of hierarchy. So I love that's a really even playing field. It's a really interesting perspective that a medically derived 
program or project could impact workplace culture. Do you have any other suggestions for hospitals that might want to merge that gap to improve culture across the board? I like the idea of a somebody on the phone with a client, whatever job they're doing, but mentioning somebody else in the practice. For example, the doctors get a lot of recognition, the gifts come to them, the cookies are delivered to them because they're the face and they've done a lot. And this is in no way meant to diminish that role, but what's happening behind the scenes is potentially overlooked. So I really like the idea, if I'm a doctor on the phone to explaining to a client, like, this is what happened, like an anesthesia, this is what's going on. But we had this problem, but Amanda knocked it out of the park. We had some blood pressure issues. Amanda handled that amazingly. She troubleshot this. We recognized some pain. Amanda had a great idea to do that. And so now this client is like, Amanda's a superstar. And so Amanda's got her down in recovery. Um, I'm going to get an update from her and I'll let you know how things are going. So like all of this attention is now put on another individual and another part of the hospital where maybe there's not a lot of understanding of what's going on back there. And so now I want to make sure Amanda, like, how do I come hug Amanda? If you're a hugger, like I am. I'm not a hugger. Uh, But that really emphasizes the importance of teamwork and that it takes a team. We are not successful in the power of one, uh, but in the power of many, we cannot fail. So we all have our niche and and that plays into being a team member and optimizing care because it takes a team. Yes. Knowing that it's a team approach, And we're guilty of this in veterinary medicine. We talk a lot about it. Bullying is something that's really emphasized, recognizing bullying, reporting bullying, stopping bullying, the process of hazing the veterinary team member to perfection. Could you speak a little bit to veterinary medicine, where we've been with bullying and hazing, and where we need to go to minimize and eliminate it from our practices? I love this topic. I think if I had a TED talk, it would be on this topic. So it's called lateral violence. And we also have vertical violence. So that's the people above you, below or below you, bullying you. And this is incredibly pervasive. I did a lot of research on this and we can adapt a lot from human med. And it's really fascinating of the papers that are from nurses. These are peer reviewed articles with titles like why nurses eat their young, like that you are destined to fail unless you can push through this bullying. So similar in the research that my research partner and I did as we finished grad school, one of the hypotheses we had was how much influence does bullying have on somebody's intention to turn over? And our research was broad enough that we realized that we needed to do further research to really drill down onto that topic. But I was able to present on lateral violence in Austin this year at Vet Show. And so I have an audience of people and I asked the audience, like, how many people have experienced bullying, lateral violence in some way? And every, myself included, like, raised their hands that it's just a, yep, that's a thing. And so this feeds back to culture where you have a culture that permits it. And I think this is just pure speculation, but I suspect that as we are incredibly understaffed, ERs are closing because we don't have enough staff. There's hospitals that can't take more appointments. Just we're kind of stretched so thin that these kind of behaviors have allowed to persist or develop or maintain because you're like, I can't fire this person. This is where I put responsibility back on leadership as well. Like recognizing the impact of one toxic individual. And in those environments where there's one toxic individual, it's much easier to be negative with this individual 
And if you were trying to be positive and a sea of negativity, you're the weird outlier. I think we've all had those environments too, where you kind of like commiserate over this shared negativity and the person who tries to shut it down, it's easy to kind of harass that individual. Um, so I think that it's imperative if that behavior exists in your practice, there should be consequences. That person is written up, that person is given coaching, that maybe they don't realize what it really looks like and why they're doing it. But it requires a conversation, it requires some intervention, and if it's not able to be fixed, that person should be removed from the practice. And I think when that personality is gone, the equity that leadership gets with the team is pretty great that they're like, they listened to this and they finally did something. And then you're like, thank you for having our backs, I guess is how I would look at it. Yeah, I've definitely been in practices where the new person was an outsider for six months. And as soon as they hit that six months, they're in and the next new person is the isolated one. And, and it's really unfortunate. I've been guilty of not speaking up and I've spoken up and burned bridges. But you're right. The problem is systemic. It should be OK to say. This person's our teammate from day one. Day one. Right. Exactly. Yes. Day yeah. one. And I think that having the. When you have systems in place like SharePoint where knowledge is available, and I think our leadership team really defines success as if what's in my brain is in your brain, then I think we're doing great. If you are now teaching how to troubleshoot hypotension and pain and ECGs or whatever, now I'm doing something else and now you get to teach that and then that person gets to teach something else. I really like this segue into improving technician utilization. And absolutely, mm -hmm. I agree, utilizing technicians will minimize turnover, maximize profits. And I'm guilty of speaking to that point, yes. but maybe what we should say is utilize teammates because I need to utilize the DVM Yes, exactly. As much as I need to utilize client services, Bingo. as much as I should utilize anybody else in that hospital, and maybe our focus shouldn't be on one group, but rather the team as Agreed. a group. I totally, I absolutely agree with that. Yes. Like we recognize that we, like, I think I know how important this is because and maybe you feel the same way because you've been on both sides of it. Like, I've been in the culture where you are looked to, like, people are amazed by you because you're the one person who knows how to do the one thing. So it pushes you to want to be in that role. And then when you're in it, you see the like accolades you get because you did put that art line in, not realizing that's the wrong place to come from. Mm -hmm. Some of that comes with professional maturity. I've definitely oh. gotten to the point where I'm like, absolutely, I will help so-and-so put this art line in. I'll be there to support them. If it becomes vital that I take over, I'll do so, but let's give them a shot. I've had yes. to push back against someone asking me to just do it. And that I think just comes with confidence. Yes, the security to be like, I don't have, to, yeah, that I, before it was like, look at that beautiful waveform because I put that in. And now the excitement is look at this individual's waveform because I taught them or they got to do it, right? So now- right it's way different of how I define success. And people notice that and that changes culture. Yes. I, culture is only as good as the most disgruntled, right? You're totally right. That's a really good <laughs> way of putting it. Yeah. But I think when then it's like that person's then the outlier instead of the other way around where like the one positive person's the outlier. So along the lines of leadership and responsibility, making changes in the hospital, supporting that. Can you speak to the chronicity of promoting longevity 
doctor to medical director, potentially technician into some sort of administrative role. Can you speak to that and what we can do to help minimize turnover when that's our culture? You're right. That is so our culture of this person is a fantastic technician and they are now the lead technician because they're a fantastic technician. But what they mean is technically they're fantastic. And maybe they're a wonderful person, but we're asking them to be in a leadership role. We're assuming that technical skills can copy paste into a leadership role really easily. And that's absolutely not always true. So I think that it comes with training and we should put the same emphasis on training for soft skills as we do hard skills. And we should recognize that soft skills require practice and you stumble and you mess up just the same way you do when you are practicing a hard skill. I have three slides on how you should intubate a cat, right? And I also have three slides on a different talk of how you have a difficult conversation. So I think that's where you put the emphasis on there's a training program and there's a vet tech level one, two, three, or whatever. There should be something that's equal on the other side of that. Lead technician, one, two, three. There's leadership, soft skill training, active listening training, just those kind of things that make you be a good leader, that those things should be just as important. And I just, I always want to scream, it is okay to give people pay raises for the job well done without the promotion into a leadership role if those are not the skills they have. But the same being said, on the opposite side, you can be a leader in a leadership role or administrative leader, let's say, because leadership could be setting a good example. uh, 100%, yes without strong technical skills. It's okay. Yes, and that one's okay. I think another thing I would do thinking of another actionable thing is what is your job description or in our world, what is our job mission? And even our partner language infuses that. We call them team advocates, not team leads. Because the same thing you notice that the team lead is this person that's in the middle that's being pulled by doctors like so-and-so took too long to get a history. I'm behind on my appointments. And the team is like, the schedule is wrong. So they're kind of just this pulled in these directions and they're not very empowered, we wanted to switch that. Now they're a team advocate and it can be distilled down into if something went wrong. We can ask, were you able to advocate? Yes or no. So it's pretty black and white, right? So I would advise people, if you're thinking of promoting a fantastic technician because they should be a great team lead or in some sort of leadership role, I would say, are they able to do this job description? And you might find, oh, they're great at this part, but they're actually pretty lacking up here. How do we get them there? So there's this assumption that they can just immediately take that step when not realizing the step might be like pretty steep and they're going to need some help getting up there. And we need training for that side as well. It's asking your team member, what are their goals and how yeah. do we help you get there? And if Same goal thing. is being an advocate, the terminology you use within your network, supporting them and getting them there. Yeah. To summarize, what can a hospital do to identify their areas of concern as it relates to decreasing turnover, optimizing culture, addressing the role of leadership and advocacy for the team, what are some action items they can do to make these improvements? Here's a couple of things. And some of these I've mentioned earlier, so I'll repeat them and I'll maybe elaborate a little bit. One big one is schedule management. So we usually know one doctor has this many technicians can do this much work. So we can see this many appointments, you need this many surgeries, whatever it is. So when that number becomes unbalanced, 
we have to realize that the team that maybe there's previously seven LVTs that can support one surgeon and we're down to three, that that number on the schedule needs to look different. We can't expect a three to be seven. I feel like we all have a built-in number of difficult or long days that is finite. And when we hit that, it's really hard to come back from it. When we are chronically understaffed and overused and expect to do the work of twice the team, you're going to crumble. That's not going to work. And it's going to be sad for the patient who needs the care and attention of somebody who's awake, able to be reliable in their knowledge, their, their emotions, et cetera. So schedule management is a big one. The ability for people to take a break is a big one. I know that sometimes it's this weird source of pride to say, like, I haven't eaten in 12 hours. I haven't gone to the bathroom. Like, I think that's absolutely horrible. Our schedule and our culture is you are obviously in charge of your body. And so you get to tell me like what your needs are. We communicate that well. And like in about an hour, I'd like to eat something. Is that fine? Or is this a good time that I go do this? But it's expected that you take a break. We've removed the hierarchy. So every doctor is held to the same standard and expectation as everybody else. We treat each other with respect on all levels. So removing hierarchy, schedule management, also just group activities. When's the last time you took your team out to go bowling or go do something fun? Like our team wants to go to a rage room where you like put the hazmat stuff on. Yeah, okay, let's figure that out. But the amount of team connectivity you get from that. And what I mentioned before is that we make sure that you recognize what your self-care is and it's built into your job description. We actually have a pie chart of all the responsibilities you have in a day. We've distilled those down into a couple big buckets. If this job is 60% communication, if you don't think that's where you're going to be able to perform, then this probably isn't the right position. So let's find something else. Is this not who you are? Then let's not make you try to be in that role. The other things we do is that wellness week off where you get to have an entire 40 hours week paid off to just rest and recuperate. You get an extra week, provide people with an extra week of PTO. And we listen to our team members. So when I genuinely ask that anybody on any level, what do you think, what isn't working here? Or what do you think could make this better? What their ideas are, we try to use those ideas to really demonstrate that they know their job better than I do, right? And I take their advice. We put systems in place. Somebody wanted a shelf here for a microscope. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. That's the right thing to do here. So I think that creates a lot of buy-in as well because your voice is heard and acted upon. Are there resources available to really link overuse and turnover, so loss of employees, costs you more than just taking your appointment schedule from 12 to 9 when you have this limitation in personnel or these individuals training? Like, what is the cost to the hospital of someone leaving and having yeah. to invest in training a new person? It has to be a great number compared to profitability. It's absolutely a high number. I had this number. I need to fact check myself, but I think it's somewhere between twelve to $20,000 like per person. And this is recruitment, training, onboarding. And so this is the recruiter's time. It's the, t the cost for the post. It's the time in reviewing applications, scheduling interviews. Like it's a lot of investment of time and energy. And then you get them on board 
And then we sometimes we drop the ball a little bit of like sink or swim, right? And so that's when I was talking about people are insecure in what they're doing. It's hard to get excited and motivated to do something if you know you don't know how to do it, there's nobody to really show you, and there's no resources to figure it out. So this is where that cycle then continues. But when it comes to then actual like tangible things, I think this is where the leadership should be in touch with the people who are on the floor. Another dynamic that helps with turnover is like, who is the advocate and the voice for the individuals who are doing the job? So we have a chief of medicine for specialty services. She's a criticalist, so she's the voice and the advocate for the specialist. We have a chief of medicine for emergency services, so she's the voice and the advocate for the ER and urgent care doctors. So any problem they have, she's like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I've done that. And so I'm the voice and I have the back of the support team. So if someone's like, Heather, we need clippers, I get that. Do you want my Amazon login or yours is the is the answer to that or, or MWI, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I want yours. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's a no brainer because that's one hundred and twenty five dollars. And when those clippers come in and they get to ceremoniously throw the other ones away. Thank you. So that is one way of realizing that a little bit of money here is going to save the group. I was in a CE the other day with Dr. Tamara Grubb, and she had a paper on the cost of sedation versus manual restraint. They studied a couple dimensions within that. So if you provide manual restraint, team members are frustrated because they feel like this isn't the right thing to do for the pet. It takes three people instead of one. It takes longer. There's three people who are sweaty. The dog is miserable. The dog has a horrible time. The dog takes longer to recover. Like all of that ripple effect, right? Versus can we just give this dog some Dexmed, pre-meds. Tor- pre-meds, right. Alfax and Medaz and Torb, if it's something older, right? Like, can we do that? Oh, yes. Heather, that was a lot of information to digest. And I think our listeners are just going to want to ask you more questions. Love it. But if you could summarize quickly the role of leadership in the amount of veterinary team member turnover and the impact of culture throughout the hospital, just. Yes, I'm saying leadership's responsibility to work on this. What that means is. I think it's important for leadership to understand exactly what's happening on the floor. I think that when you see where there might be obstacles in workflows, oh, this is taking an extra 10 seconds for this to happen or for this person to update that individual. You can maybe figure out where there's the problems, but then you can really appreciate why there might be some serious issues. For example, There's only one piece of whatever equipment and this individual has to walk to the other side of the building to pick that up, use it, and then take it back. So they'd be like, why are you walking all the way over there? Let's just replace it here. So those kind of things, I think it's really important for leadership to be on the floor with their team members to really understand what they're going through and then really listening to them. Yes, we all have voices and we all need to be heard. Thank you, Heather, for providing these suggestions to improve our workplace culture, encourage those positive leadership standards, ultimately reducing turnover and keeping us re-engaged or engaged with our profession. As always at Jurox, we know you have many continued education resources and we thank you for your time and attention to our Think Anesthesia portfolio of assets. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, Concerns, please do not hesitate to contact us directly at thinkanesthesia at jurox.com. 
Heather, thank you. And maybe we'll be able to have you back. Our listeners will email us follow-up questions. Yeah, we fine. can readdress some of the holes that we definitely left, but a lot to digest. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. This was great.